Hey everybody, welcome to the Daily Underswell, your podcast and radio station, if you will, for getting sustainability news that's relatable, understandable, and out in the um, out in the real world. Let's talk about some brands and some companies that are doing things more sustainably, or at least making moves, um, so that you can sort of be in the know and be a part of the sustainability conversation. I'm Derek Sabori. I'm your host. I've been away for a while. We took a little break, took a little vacation to Alaska, and hopefully you missed the show. We're back, though, after a couple weeks. Apologies. We're not going anywhere. We're going to keep this thing going. And just a reminder, this is a show that is low budget, and uh, it's done. It's uh, We call it the most unedited and underproduced show uh, in your podcast library. So we do this in one take, try to keep this at about 30 minutes. So please excuse any additional sounds or any um, mediocre recordings because it's, <laughs> see, like that, it's just me. And uh, I just want to get this information out there and get this thing started. So let's dive in. Today we're going to talk a bit about some fashion brands that are doing things. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit about companies that are doing things in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. So a big shout out to everybody who is working hard, giving back, and um, just surviving and doing what you need to do out there in Houston, in the uh, Houston area after that massive um, disaster. So we're thinking about you, and the images are, boy, both, I think, um, disheartening and frustrating and saddening and at the same time maybe um, uplifting. It's great to see people coming together to help each other um, in this time of crisis. So our our thoughts are with you guys out there. But in the meanwhile, if you are somebody who is interested in companies and brands that are, you know, sort of supporting and giving back, uh, CNN Money has a nice article that as uh, corporate America Harvey Relief is at 65 million and counting, and I like this article because uh, it kind of compares how much has been raised so far compared with the uh, with other disasters. But I think more importantly, is there's a running list that they've got of what companies are doing to help. It's in alphabetical order, and you sort of see the big companies in here. You know, from Aetna, Allergen, Amazon, American Express, Apple, AT&T, Bank of America, so on and so forth. Boeing, Caterpillar, Chevron, Coach, Coca-Cola, Comcast. The list goes on and on. So if you want to have a sort of a reference guide for who's doing what, but you see a lot of these big companies. You know, FedEx committing a million dollars in cash and transportation support. Facebook will match up to a million dollars in donations made on its platform uh, for the Center for Disaster Philanthropies Hurricane Harvey Recovery Fund. I've seen that pop up in my Facebook feed. Google is making $250,000 grant to the Red Cross and matching employee donations up to 250. So it looks like corporate America is coming out strong, um, sort of at these million dollar at a time um, amounts. But, you know, Kellogg, uh, brands that you recognize in here, Lowe's, Miller Coors, um, Pepsi, PetSmart. So good to see, but check out that article if you want to learn more about who is giving and um, what kind of companies you're supporting. Moving over into the, um, let's see, fashion segment, because you know that's an area that I like. 
We're going to start with a story here that's on Ecotextile News and with the big company Gap. Gap announcing that they have wood-derived, a new wood-derived fabrics policy, and that is that they've become the latest global brand to commit to the Canopy-style campaign. I've brought this up before, but this is an organization that is working with global rayon and viscose producers to free the supply chain of ancient and endangered forest fiber from controversial sources. Gap has announced a new company-wide policy to eliminate the sourcing of wood-derived fabrics from ancient and endangered forests. So that's one thing that fabric companies and apparel companies are really struggling with is sort of understanding their supply chain, making sure that they are not sourcing fibers, whether it's cotton that was, you know, hand-picked by children in countries like Uzbekistan or fibers that come from ancient and endangered forests like the ones here uh, mentioned in this in this article um, or that their supply chain you know does not contain toxic chemicals that have been banned but in order to eliminate those things you have to really have some understanding in your supply chain and having a good good grasp of what is going on who's making what and where things are being made so hats off to gap for that commitment 2020 that's not very far off so we'll keep an eye on how they do with that how about um, Wrangler over on environmentalleader.com? Article says that uh, Wrangler to cotton farmers, improve your sustainability, boost profits, we'll help. So this was an article by Jennifer Hermes on Environmental Leader. It says in a move that it says will help increase the supply of sustainable cotton, Wrangler has joined a group called Field to Market, the Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture. The group is another multi-stake is it, the group is another multi-stakeholder initiative that is working to increase supply chain sustainability around natural resources. So Wrangler will coordinate with Field to Market, the Soil Health Institute, and several other industry and academic partners to focus on cotton growing practices that will improve profitability for growers while reducing environmental impacts, the company says. Wrangler is the first major apparel brand to join the initiative and follows the brand's launch last month of a pilot project for sustainable U.S. cotton. So cotton has a lot of impacts that come along with it, especially um, conventional cotton. Uh, organic cotton has a better footprint, environmentally speaking, but there's both sides will battle and kind of tell you why um, one is better, but it's uh, most LCA, life cycle analysis research, will say that organic cotton is a better environmental choice and probably a better social choice too. Just the idea of farmers and people working out in the fields not having to deal with pesticides being sprayed all over is, is a pretty, pretty good sounding thing. So good job to Wrangler making um, good steps. Um, other industry groups that are working in sustainable apparel and fashion include the Circular Fibers Initiative, this article says, Cotton 2040, and um, nice little piece, though. It says uh, the company says it will, that it buys around 50% of its cotton from U.S. growers. So that's good to know. That's Wrangler. How about this one? Ralph Lauren, another big brand, gets stricter on sustainable sourcing. So this was found on Sourcing Journal. This is an article by Genevieve Scarano. And this says that Ralph Lauren is stepping up its sustainability commitment with a stricter sourcing initiative. The American retailer created a new policy on the use of wood-based fabric. So similar here to the Gap commitment. So dealing again with rayon and viscose. And if you didn't know, rayon, viscose, tencel, modal, those are some brand names. But those items come from, um, those are called cellulosic fibers or tree-based fibers. So 
sort of like a bamboo. It sounds good to have these things, you know, made from trees, which seem renewable. But if you're clear cutting endangered forest or ancient or ancient rainforest, for example, to use and um, you know to make these fibers, then obviously that is not a good thing. So Ralph Lauren says. As um, the article says that as the company continues to develop purchasing guidelines for raw materials, the new policy will prevent Ralph Lauren from sourcing wood-based fabrics that are connected to deforestation and unethical labor. A quote from them says, we've already communicated our commitment to our vendors. That's from the senior vice president of global manufacturing and sourcing and um, Halid Alagaz. We believe this initiative demonstrates Ralph Lauren's commitment to the environment with responsible and traceable sourcing, which we believe will create a positive impact on ecosystems and global communities. So when big companies like this make these big commitments, it's good because it sort of trickles down. Everybody starts to feel the pressure, if you will, and it becomes more of the norm and more of the standard than it does the exception. Here's an article, um, Reformation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They are a direct consumer fashion brand at thereformation.com. Not too long ago, they put out their sustainability report. Um, a little bit about them, created in 2009 by Yale um, Aflalo, I believe her name is, A-F-L-A-L-O, I believe that's how you say it. We design and manufacture the majority of our limited edition collections in our factory headquarters in downtown Los Angeles. This is their sort of boilerplate on their website. All of their garments are produced by responsible manufacturing partners here in the U.S. or abroad using sustainable methods and materials. We source sustainable fabrics and vintage garments while incorporating better practices throughout our supply chain to make beautiful styles at a fraction of the environmental impact of a conventional fashion brand. It's our mission to lead and inspire a sustainable way to be fashionable. And I will give them credit. So they've got this nice um, website here that sort of laid out their sustainability report, um, how things are made, sustainable practice, about washing. They do a good job of reminding the customer how to how to purchase, what to look for, how to take care of your products, wash them less, etc. So they've sort of built in sustainable messaging into their brand, which is great. When we started Cosm, that's the brand that uh, my partner and I started um, last year, that is uh, a men's yoga brand, but this was one of the brands too that we looked for in terms of just messaging and a clean, sharp look, but building sustainability in you know, from the beginning and just making it a part of your brand and your message. And speaking of which, um, messaging, here a cool article on high snobiety. They say, this was uh, earlier this month, that in the future we won't own clothes, we'll rent them. So sort of sticking with the fashion theme here, I like this article because it says, it's no secret that consumerism is trashing the planet and the fashion industry is a big part of the problem. There's a growing corner of the industry that's committed to less harmful practices, but as it stands, that's not really enough. Not only is global warming and pollution spiraling out of control, the article says, but we're running out of resources too. And it um, talks about uh, that we're currently consuming resources at 1.6 times the world's capacity. And I'm not sure if you guys saw the article on World Overshoot Day. That is, uh, I'll digress here a little bit because that is a good thing to know about. It is this idea, it's called Earth Overshoot Day, where... We as a planet, um, based on calculations, use more of the resources that we have available to us on the planet sooner and sooner each year. So, for example, over here on greenbiz.com, there's a nice article on it. If you look up Earth Overshoot Day, it says this was on August 2nd, 
That was the date when humanity's annual demand on nature exceeds what Earth can regenerate over the entire year. This is according to the Global Footprint Network, the research institute that specialized in natural resource accounting that has developed the ecological footprint metric. Human activity, they say, currently consumes 1.71 times more renewable natural resources and ecological services than Earth can renew, depleting our natural capital, stated the organization. This is what they said. So this... um, Article on Heisenabiety is sort of calling out that article, so both are great. But this article on Heisenabiety.com goes on to talk about um, a circular system. It says, currently most products are designed with a linear lifespan. This is good, good language just to sort of know and understand. Where we make things, and when they're no longer needed, they're thrown away, likely end up in a landfill, or they are incinerated. If all or part of a product gets recycled, then most of the time it goes further down the value chain. T-shirts end up as rags or insulation, for example. The article says it's massively wasteful and it means manufacturers are losing ownership of valuable resources. So on the contrary, in a circular system, the article points out, products are designed from the very beginning to be recycled without moving down the supply chain. Take a running running shoe, for example. Due to the huge amount of stress the body puts on it while it's in use, it's a product with a limited lifespan. When the shoe reaches the end of its lifespan, instead of being thrown away, it could theoretically have its upper reprocessed and sole melted down so that those components could then be used in making another running shoe. The idea is that we'd reach a point where consumption and production don't result in any waste at all, as every used or unwanted product is recovered and then fully recycled. So that would be a circular economy um, model there. The global fashion agenda recently announced that 64 leading brands and corporations, which make up 7.5% of the total value of the global fashion industry, signed a commitment to move towards a more circular system. And if you look on our website, at the COSM website, um, on our Facebook page, I think especially, we were part of that commitment, the global fashion agenda, basically being part of um, sitting alongside companies like um, Adidas or Adidas, ASOS, Lacoste, H&M, Caring, who owns Balencia, Gucci, St. Laurent, and the VF Corp, which owns Timberland, Vans, and the North Face. But um, our brand, Cosm, is one of those that has made that commitment to be a part of the circular economy as well. And it basically means that companies will commit to collecting and reselling a higher volume of used garments while using more recycled fibers in their products. And gosh, I keep plugging our brand, but um, our products almost all of them have upwards of 50% of um, upcycled or recycled um, content, actually almost 100% because it's usually a blend of upcycled cotton, which is cotton scraps that have been turned back into um, yarns mixed with recycled polyester. So that's why we were able to commit to that pretty easily. But most importantly, it urges companies to design the products to be recycled, which is the beginning of a truly circular system. So while the article says that's not going to save things overnight, blah, 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 it does say, what does this have to do with us as in consumers? Well, a truly circular economy, the article say, would create a culture where we use products rather, rather than own them. So here's a novel concept, right? Currently, manufacturers make things, then sell them and forget about them. But if manufacturers were instead recovering, recycling, and reprocessing their products, then it makes much more sense for them to rent rather than sell them. That way, they still own all the materials and can ensure that they are recovered and recycled correctly. With resources becoming scarcer and increasingly valuable, this business model makes much more sense in the long run. So you can imagine this idea, right, where we're sort of, once we have captured those materials, 
you loan out those products, people use them until they're done, they get them right back to the manufacturer who says, thank you, we'll use those raw materials again. Those are, those are resources, those are nutrients that we can put back into the cycle. Those become valuable nutrients because that becomes, if that becomes the norm, then it's easier and more practical to capture those resources that are readily available than to go have to get new virgin materials out on the market. So um, this article is a good one. It talks that it suits a modern consumption habits. Social media has made trends move faster than ever. It's simply not feasible for us to be consuming more and more resources just to keep uh, just to keep up with what's hot at a given moment. So I like this article and I like this idea of renting our our products, using them, keeping those materials into the uh, the value stream, getting them back to manufacturers. But it's a culture change and it's a culture shift. And that is referring to the circular economy. Make sure you know about that. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? How about, um, oh, it's National Cleanup Day. Not sure if you knew that. Coming up here on September 16th. This is a new organization I just learned about. Nationalcleanupday.org. If, you um, if you're into sort of keeping, uh, keeping your environment clean and keeping your neighborhood clean, which who isn't? But from sea to shining sea on Saturday, September 16th. What would happen if everyone picked up at least one piece of litter on National Cleanup Day? So this is where organizations and individuals alike join forces to clean up our parks, trails, beaches, mountains, and open spaces. I love this. I hate litter, and it's one of the um, it's one of the problems I think in our society that bothers me the most because it's so easy to address. So if you're uh, if you want to support them, go check out nationalcleanupday.org. Let's see, shifting over to another big brand. Um, speaking of waste and trash, how about this idea of zero waste? Um, this is when we manufacture and essentially put, you know, the smallest, most finite amount into the landfill where everything, so, you know, Subaru um, often touches on this and sort of, uh, not brags, but, you know, that's one of their marketing claims. And here on this article on 3BL Media um, in a news release earlier this summer from Nestle, they said that uh, when we talk about go when when we talk about waste going to landfill, it's usually about one of two sources, manufacturing or the dinner table. But what about all the connector points that a product hits before it gets to you? Here at Nestle, they said we are taking a whole supply chain approach, and I'm happy to share that now your Stouffer's lasagna or your DiGiorno pizza or your Eddie's ice cream are coming to you from distribution centers that are landfill free. Going landfill free is no small task, they say. So read more on that. They did some tweeting, Nestle USA. They are at Nestle USA, but um, good for them. Nice when a big brand just continues to make commitments like that. Um, uh, let's see, I had another article here. We've got some sunscreen. Summer sort of coming to a close, if not already is a close, but um, if you are somebody who lives in an area where you can use sunscreen all year long, Make sure that you're looking for sunscreens. This article on Fast Company says, uh, fastcompany.com, it's an article by Adele Peters. It says, these tiny beads are designed to soak up the sunblock chemical that's killing coral. So I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but there are obviously natural sunscreens um, and sunscreens, just as important, that are reef-safe sunscreens. So a lot of times sunscreens come off in the water and they go and sort of lay this layer over coral and reefs and can kill the reefs. 
So your sunscreen might protect you, it says, but it's killing coral. These algae and lobster shell beads could help protect our reefs. Tiny amount of oxybenzone, a UV blocking chemical that's commonly found in sunscreen, can stunt and deform the growth of coral reefs, sometimes killing the coral. And if you remember not too long ago, we covered the movie Chasing Coral, so we know how vital and important coral is to the ocean, and of course how vital and important the health of the oceans is to us as a human species. And in Hawaii, this article says, lawmakers are attempting to ban the sunscreens that contain the chemical so snorkelers don't unwittingly destroy the reefs they visit. But until that happens, and until people stop washing other oxybenzone-containing products, like some shampoos and dish detergents down drains that lead to the ocean, researchers suggest that something else could help. Tiny beads designed to suck the offending chemical out of the water. So they've got a little video on here, and it's these beads are made primarily from a biodegradable mix of an algae product and cheetosan, a material produced from shrimp and lobster shells after fishing. So it's nice when nature can provide solutions for us. But check this out. Do a little Googling on, on this article if you want. It's on Fast Company, Adele Peters. Tiny beads are designed to soak up the sunblock that's killing coral. Um, what else is on the desk? Oh, or September is Organic September. This is um, as announced by the Soil Association. Organic September encourages consumers to buy from organic producers and brands striving for a more environmentally friendly and fair food system. So all month long, let's commit. Make sure you're looking for products that are labeled as organic. And organic can be in your food, but it, it can also be in your cotton um, it can be in your hemp, any sort of products that are grown. You want to make sure and look for that organic label and look for certifications on your organic products. So we all know about greenwashing, um, but make sure that you are looking often either for that USDA organic label or in um, clothing. It's a GOTS, G-O-T-S certification. Certification, though, all the way to the product level can be really tough. So just because a product doesn't have a certification doesn't mean there's not truly organic cotton in the supply chain. But the suppliers that are doing it should have certain transactions at all their different steps to be able to back up and say that, hey, this, the material that we used and sourced was organic. It was kept separate from the other materials. So kind of a complex thing getting those things certified. But it's September. It's organic September. Look for your organic products. And speaking of organic products, another article I found and something I'm excited about is America's first meat-free fast food restaurant is getting ready to expand. And um, I'm, I'm jumping around here a bit, and I'm not I'm not going to apologize for it because that's just sort of what I do. I try to keep these things into little classes, and we, we went from fashion to um, big products, consumer products, to food, and here we are now with the um, drive through So... I guess I'm just sort of giving you a little precursor to what this podcast is like. But this article also on Fast Company is that uh, this was by Ellie Anzalotti. And it says, launched two years ago in a small town in Northern California, Amy's drive through has been a runaway success, much to the surprise of the owners who now hope to take it nationwide. So this drive through is vegetarian, organic, gluten-free. Um, they have gluten-free options and it's a fast food restaurant. It's off the exit 484A on 101 North through Rowan Hart Park, California. You'll find the usual roadside offerings. There's a Burger King and a Taco Bell and a marginally more exciting. There's a Chick-fil-A and an In-N-Out Burger. But right off the road that bisects the interstate, you'll find a fast food restaurant that's like the others only in format. Amy's drive through 
is America's first vegetarian, organic, gluten-free, optional fast food restaurant, and much to the surprise of the owners, it's doing more than holding its own against its greasy competitors in the Rohnert Park off-ramp complex. So the business has been booming, it says, in the two years of operation that it's uh, beginning a chain. So there's a new location um, that's taking over an abandoned Denny's um, in the area, and it looks like they are uh, moving. A nationwide chain of Amy's outposts was far from inevitable when the company first began to mold the idea of a drive through location a few years ago. For 29 years, the Petaluma, California-based Amy's Kitchen has gained a cult following. So I like stories like this because when a brand pops up that you haven't heard about and they've been at it for 29 years, this gives me hope as an entrepreneur and reminds me that it's a long haul and that successes, um, even overnight successes, often take 10, 15, 20, even 30 years here in this case. So check out this article. Learn more about Amy's. I like what they're doing. I like that model. And it just goes to show you this is my idea of sustainability and doing business better. When you don't necessarily transform the model or try to change what we do or culture, you still get your food fast, you still have a drive through atmosphere, you can still eat outside and get your food to go, but it's done um, in a better way, in a more considerate way, considerate of environmental you know, people, planet, and then putting profit in there as well. So triple bottom line approach. So I like that. Food looks good too. It looks very drive-through. It looks very um, in and out-ish, but it is vegetarian, um, which we all know has a, a lower impact on the environment. So check that out. Check out Amy's. I think that's what we're closing with today. Um, I told you about the Earth Overshoot Day. Check out that article because that just came out in August, and apparently we reached our overshoot day much earlier this year than we have in the past. Um, that's it for me today. Aside from um, back, uh, I've got one or more article that I want to share here. It's Levi Strauss turning to 3D printing. Levi Strauss says it is trailing 3D printing for its denim. It is trialing 3D printing for its denim jackets as it aims to demonstrate its commitment to sustainability. Paul Dillinger, Levi Strauss's head of global product innovation, is working with the Autodesk Pier 9 digital printing workshop in San Francisco, California, and is experimenting with the 3D printing of a denim jacket prototype. Why is that good? Why is that more sustainable? Well, it eliminates waste. You're printing only what you need. When we make products, we make the, make the fabric. Um, it's at a fixed width. We end up cutting out patterns. You do the best you can to maximize the efficiency, but there are always scraps. There's always leftovers, and there is inevitably waste. 3D printing like they've done with shoes, and if we can do that with garments, is going to eliminate a lot of waste, and often that thing, um, the item can be printed um, with the color already done, so you're not sending fabrics out for wash, for rinse, to, um, for, you know, for processes to adhere, colorization, etc. So, one more story there in the fashion um, segment, even though I put it at the end. So, that's it for today. That's the daily underswell. Hope you have a great day. The goal here is to keep these short, keep them under 30 minutes. I've done that. It's 27 minutes. Check back soon for more stories. The daily underswell is daily news. Um, but on our website, theunderswell.com, we also do some different features, interviews with people. Um, it's a new segment of the website, so we'll continue to build content. Hope you check back soon. Hope you enjoy it. And as always, reach out if you've got any questions, requests, comments, critiques, etc. But beyond that, have a great day. See you on the next episode.